ete masarai. O te ahurewa arikitang. Te kingi o tonga kingi tūpau. Haere hoki atu koe, takahi atu rā te ara whānui. Te ara tapu wai o rātou, te kāpiti tanga o te wairua. Hoki atu ki ngō mātua, hoki atu ki tō tupuna. Hoki hoki mai i roti i te ariki tanga. Moi mai i te ariki. Moi mai. In paying tribute, our final tribute, to the late King Tupo of Tonga. May your journey to the realm, back to your ancestors, back to your parents, back to your grandmother, be as smooth as the greenstone, be as soft as the wind, upon your spiritual face. And may the cloak of love of your people keep you warm forever. Rest in peace. Taipari Taitimu. The outgoing tide. And I'm Justin Murray, and you're back with Tiahika here on Radio New Zealand National. Māori became Māori once we reached Aotearoa from the many migratory travels back and forth across the Tumuana Nuiakiwa, the Pacific Ocean. And it's those experiences that are memorialised and celebrated in this week's broadcast, starting with... Stage mums. We've all heard of them. Women standing on the sidelines pushing their generally beauty pageant piano concerto playing daughters to grin and win. Well, substitute a beauty queen for a playwright and a stage mum who, well, isn't even, not by a far shot, and you get Sally Ride Dunn and her girl, Shalisa Harris. And this kid is one to watch. Heard it here first, y'all. So I'll just do some quick fire questions with you then, Shalisa. Mm-hmm. Uh, name your five best movies. Kung Fu Panda, um, Taken, um, Mulan, <laughs> um, Sherlock Holmes. Which one? Uh, first and second. And Legally Bond. <laughs> And if there was a song that was the soundtrack of your life right now, what would it be? I'm a diva. I'm a, I'm a diva. <laughs> Shalisa Harris joins us soon with her manager, Taxi Bank, motivational expert slash mum. And how's this for an analogy in describing the relationship between a monarch and its people? If you take the scenario of a forest, in particular New Zealand forest, you will find that the humble trees are all lowly. They grow only so many feet from the ground. You also have the ground cover. Underneath that ground cover is the, is the seeds of the kodi, the rimu, all the chiefly trees. 
Now, in a sense, that if it were not for that humble coverage on the forest floor, those chiefly trees struggling to grow and become strong would die. It's the same scenario that you would put in place of arikitanga and the people. Without the people, that whole structure would would uh, basically crumble, would fall. Tainui Waikato historian Mamai Takira gives us the lowdown between the Kingitanga and the Tongan royal family. Before I close it off with Māori midwife Erin Sandilands. That's what's coming up on Tiahika tonight. Kia mo tonu mai. Te Aika, Radio New Zealand National. The night before an early morning trip, the bags are packed, clothes laid out and alarms set, all aimed at getting out as fast as you can to catch that flight, bus, boat, ride or whatnot. Then you sleep through the <laughs> alarm. Yep, we've all had that happen. And then you're running around, usually in panic, assessing whether you can still make it or it's too late and you've missed your flight, bus, boat, ride or whatnot. Well, let's raise the stakes. Imagine you're migrating. Okay, let's raise those stakes again. So this is no ordinary migration. You're actually part of the crew heading to Aotearoa as part of the first lot of voyages across to Moana Nuiakiwa. And you, for want of a better word, Mistoaka. Oh, where? Well, that's the premise of a play written and directed by Ngāti Kahunganu, Ngāti Parau, Te Atiawa and Te Arawa girl, Charlisa Harris. But before we get into that... Earlier this week, I was looking through a local newspaper and saw a picture of a house with the headline, Struggling Families Give City's Poor Suburb a Miss. Now, I had to look really closely at the photo because it kind of looked like the house I had been brought up in until I was six years old. The article then went on to describe how Housing New Zealand clients are unwilling to live in Marainui, a suburb in Napier, because of its bad rep as an area housing gangs. Here's some stats about Marainui taken from the 2006 census. 61% of people in Marainui over the age of 15 earned $20,000 or less. Of those aged 15 years and over, 13% were unemployed. 37% of people in work were labourers. 50.7% of those aged 15 and over had no formal qualifications. 54.8% of the inhabitants were Māori, and 34.2% were 15 years or younger. 44.6% of families were solo parent families. The average household had 3.3 people. Now, that's pretty grim reading in 2006. Six years later, has it changed? Well, according to that newspaper article, obviously not. And actually, today, many of the residents still call Marainui the Bronx or the ghetto. Though when I was living there, and we're talking 1970s, you couldn't get a more cleaner, pristine place. And what's this got to do with the waka play written by Charlie Harris? Well, she, along with her mum, Sally Raidun, are products of Marainui. As I am too, in a way. I'm talking with the writer of The Waka of Love, Shalisa Harris. Now, Shalisa, how did you come up with that story? Uh, it started off as a skit that we took to Hawaii. Um, and whose way are these people? Oh, this is, ta- this is um, Tauhi Morihu, a performing arts group from the Hutt Valley. And um, when we were invited to go to Hawaii, they asked for a skit around cultural identity. And so I thought it would be like a kind of a fun 
kind of silly um silly kind of story and then it was only just like a 20 minute skit and then when I got back I was like I thought to myself wow that was actually a really cool story <laughs> and people were always like always say that that was their favorite because we did a few skits there I was like oh my gosh that needs to be turned into a production and then so I just fleshed it out a little bit and add more dances add more dialogue add more characters and it just grew and grew into this big production now what sounds high case to me is that the story is about um when uh we're traveling across the pacific and what would happen if people slept in <laughs> is that right yeah yeah, <laughs> it's so hard case. What would happen if somebody slept in and everybody went without you? <laughs> yeah, um, I think it was kind of like the the play really captures like the typical cheeky mischief Maori boy, and that's the kind of thing they do. You know, they sleep in, and their families, you know, they're like oh hoha, and they just you know leave them. And it's got it's got really really strong Maori humour throughout the whole. So these play. are people. These are this is the type of humour that you're familiar with, and you're see, seated next door to your mum, mm-hmm. that's Sally Rydun, who is pretty much your manager. Yeah. <laughs> driver, taxi driver. Yeah, yeah bank. Yeah. <laughs> so Sally, tell me, I mean, has Shalisa always been this kind of kid? She's been interested in Māori stories and in portraying them and... Yeah, well, I guess um, when she was little, she went through Kohanga Reo and then she went to a Kurakaupapa, so her first school was um, Pakipaki. Um, that's just out of the Hawke's Bay yeah just out of Hawke's Bay and she's always had her nannies she's been brought up around her nannies strong influence there and both were teachers um, one taught um, te reo and the other one taught bilingual so and all of their teaching there were always the stories and growing up Charlize would always hear the stories from my mama who was brought up in Rotoria and just um, the humour behind all those stories like having to go to school without any shoes so warming your feet in and the, the, the cowtickle yeah yeah so all <laughs> that kind of stuff and Charlize was really interested in the stories I guess and um, she never really was interested in the performing arts side of it until she got a lot older and I guess we kind of pushed her into it because it was something that I was doing as part of my mahi back in Hawke's Bay and we just dragged her along and got her behind um, doing costumes and things like that and before she knew it she was actually on the stage but I guess with Shah she's always been the one that wants to write the stories and and to um, to direct people so it's just kind of gone in a full circle where she's gone from being the performer to the one that's actually yeah, directing. Yeah because being a kura kid you'd be used to being on stage for kappa anyway. Oh yeah. I, I used to wag school when it came to that I was such a shy kid mm. I hated the stage I hated performing arts mm. and I just kind of like um I don't know I, I didn't like public speaking I would cry and mm. then I just you know I just like writing stories and then um yeah over time I just slowly got pushed onto the stage you know from the family and, and all that. The Walk of Love story is, is something that Charlize has kind of branched off and done on her own but the whole concept around using performing arts to share messages so, th- so the whole message around um, this production as I understand it is around biculturalism and about embracing um, all the cultures that you have. So a, a lot of the students in it are Māori, but they have another culture. So, oh, Shalisa, so, oh, um, 
in, in our group, we've got, you know, because, you know, being from Wellington and Wellington being like a real multicultural place, we've got um, Filipino, Japanese, Italian, we've got Irish, we've got all these different cultures. But the one thing that brings them all together is the Māori, that they're, they're living in New Zealand, and whether they have Māori blood in them or not, they're living in New Zealand, and we have that connection. And so we, um, though they're all different cultures, that um, we bring them t- together through kapahaka and through the Māori story. And even though, you know, how I say that, it's got strong Māori humour, no matter where we take it, everyone gets mm-hmm. it. So we took it to Hawaii and they totally got it. And, you know, we've performed this in the community and we've performed it in front of, you know, like real up there kind of people and everyone laughs, mm. everyone gets the So how many humor. people are on stage? Um, we've got 18 mm, kids. Yeah, half from the half. There's a lot of kids to manage, yeah. Sally. Yeah, so like, <laughs> so like we, as the parents, we kind of step back and, and there's with Shirley, so she's the director and she has about three other rangatahi helping her to coordinate it all. And um, the difficult thing that I see is that they're all from different schools and so they don't see each other that often. So when they come together for practices, it's like, ah! Yeah, you know, it's like you haven't seen each other for years, but um, <laughs> but once they've done all of that, they're actually really good. They're actually really focused because Shah's taken them through workshops and um, explained to them the importance mm. of of all of the things. Gosh, mobilising eighteen oh, kids though, from around Wellington. Yeah, we've I got mean, really houses. really good um, like parental help, like yeah, um, from Wellington. Yeah. We've yeah. got really good whānau that, you know, so we don't need to pay for any catering or we don't mm. have to pay for any, you know, transport and stuff. Yeah. 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 We've half been from Wellington, half been from Hart Valley. Like, that's a long, you know, that's yeah. a big, there's a big gap, but the whānau always jumps in and supports and brings them back and forth. So tell me, what is the outcome? What do you want to happen with this production? Um, I think, you know... I told you earlier that most of the kids have a similar upbringing to myself. And so even though that the production has a really good message for the audience, it's all about the um, performers themselves and building their confidence. Um, watching the kids grow from when they first came in and they were kind of like, you know, you couldn't even, I, One of the girls, I didn't even know what her voice sounded like. She was so shy. And then to see her now so confident and talking about um, doing manu kōrero, that's like, you know, that's the kind of thing... That's the ultimate of standing yeah. up in front of people. Mm. Yeah, it's all about the, yeah, the performers rather than the audience. Like, it's great for the audience to get the message, but for the, it's really for the kids to bring them out. Yeah. Now, Shalisa, you're 18, so you're dealing with kids who are only probably a few years younger than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real funny because it was my birthday um, about a month ago, and um, we were talking about it, and, and I was saying, yeah, I'll be 18, and the kids... They were like, what? You're 18? 18, yeah. And they're like, we, we thought, thought you were 20. 20. Yeah, they were like, we thought you were in your 20s. And they, like, didn't even know I was mm. 18. And I thought that I was like, oh, I never told them because I just, you know, it just never came up. And so they just assumed that I was I was older. And mm. so it's really funny that, that when I think about it myself too, like, oh, my gosh, I'm only 16. You know, we're, we're not even that far apart when I look at them as, like, little brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Mm. So do you see yourself as building this into a career? Um, I don't know, maybe. Mm. It's um, definitely one of my passions, but, yeah, I'm not sure about... Maybe, yeah. Well, I know that I do want to um, go into business, but but business is, like, so broad. 
And so, yeah. And life is quite long. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sally. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just just on that, I just wanted to mention that because Shalisa has um, been involved in the performing arts side of it and she's done um, various things um, like public speaking. Like she did National Money Quarter all last year and oh, she's just done kapahaka and all kinds of things. What she did last year towards the end of the year is that she went on a, a course called Ahika. It's an entrepreneurship um, program. And, Who's that run by? Uh, that's run by Entrepreneurship New Zealand, Ahika, is, is who runs the course. And it's a 10-week program. And um, Dr. Catherine Love, she facilitates that. And Sir Natata Love is, is, um, has had a huge influence in it as well. He actually brought it over from America, the NIFTY program over there, the, um, the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship. And that's actually targeted at um, hard-to-reach communities and about using business concepts to get them engaged in, in learning and about um, reaching their full potential, um, pulling out their strengths and um, identifying their passions. And so that was brought here by um, Sir Ta- Natata Love, and it's been here f- since the 80s. And Charlisa did that programme last year, and I, honestly it was the best thing that she ever did because it took all of the things, all of her um, passions and all of her strengths, and it started to consolidate everything and put it into kind of a plan on where she wanted to go and um, like the question was what she uses as a career well what the business course has taught her to do is to keep her mind open to all different possibilities within business and this is just one thing that can add to that that kitty so mm. so it's good so like um because I've always done performing arts and um I've always wanted to direct and stuff but the AK has taught me how to be more structured because mm. you know being Māori we're just like oh yeah all the kids come together yep um, we'll go from now until we're finished, you know, and mm. like, but the Heike has taught me how to, you know, set times and dates and, and how's the kids going to get here from here to here and how we're going to pay for these costumes, like stuff like that, how to mm. be more professional. And though, even though it might not be a career, I know that'll always be a part of my life. Mm. And, and like, um, I might go on to be, I don't know, an accountant, but I always have that. You know, in the weekends, I'll always be involved with youth. I know that I will. And so um, it, won't be a, it might not be a career, but it'll always be there for me. Mm. Now, Sally, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at your girl here and just hearing her talk and, and things is, I mean, was she, she sounds like she's an easy kid. <laughs> yeah, no, well, she... So she was always going to be doing yeah, something that was I cannot lie. She was actually... She was positive. Actually, yeah, she. I cannot lie. She was actually a really good kid. Um, she wasn't an A student. Like she was never ever A student. She wasn't. Um, she didn't want to be the one out there in the front or anything like that. She just kind of just got along with whatever it was she was doing. The reason why we actually um, knuckled down on her in the third form and said you need to do something that's extracurriculum outside of school because she didn't like sports. <laughs> to the to this day, she won't she won't play sports, which is really really tough for me. And do you guys I'm, have do you have other children? Um, yes, so um, she's got two older siblings and two younger siblings, so she's a middle child. <laughs> and um, so we whangai, um, we whangai two, two of her older siblings, and um, they've both been into sports, right into sports and performing arts. So we said to her, right, you need to do something. And so that's how actually how she, I'm just recalling, that's how she got into performing arts. And so she started to write, and she entered um, the Pikihuya competition and that's actually how she started to realize oh actually I'm pretty good at this because she got through to the finals and um twice and so so that's something that she's kind of um 
stuck to, I guess, and mm. is the writing. And we just literally, you know, as long for me, as long as she's doing something and she's keeping out of trouble, you know, if she wants to give up her weekends to take other kids to do performing arts, I'm like, wow, that's cool because it means that she's not on the streets doing things. And know. it's and it sounds like you're all an involved parent as well, which kind of goes and flies in the face of all the stereotype that you see on mainstream news of mm. Maori parents being. Um, uninvolved, going to the casino, (laughs) and I guess having um, just seen your um, accordion here, Shalisa, that you wrote about how you grew up in a pretty rough neighbourhood in Napier. Yeah. The Nui. Yeah, yeah. But um, (laughs) when I think about, like, when people, when I tell people I'm from Maroni, they're like, ooh. But when I think about growing up, I kind of, like, grew up in my own little bubble. So there was all these things going around me going on around me like um gangs and and drugs and you know my friends coming to school with no lunch and no shoes and I I never really thought about it I was always in my own little bubble because I was always protected from all that from like my my whanau and is that due to you silly and the whanau yeah and and her nanny I guess grandparents and aunties and that like even though her auntie my sister was um heavily involved in the mongol mob she didn't open that door up for, for our kids to be exposed to it. I mean, that was her yeah. thing. Because, <clears throat> so I, I mean, that's the yeah. reality of being a, a Māori whānau, though, eh, is yeah. that you have such a wide concept of what mm. whānau is mm. that you can have police and gang members in the same whānau. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely. not just yeah. one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. And there can be a perception that Māori can, can be either or mm. rather mm. than we can be both. Yeah. yeah. I think um, for me, like, because that's a classic example of, of our whānau, is that you've just got to keep doing what you're doing and do the best that you can do. And, I mean, you can't change um, all of your whānau and, and their lifestyles because that's their choice. But what you can do is just slowly, you know, expose them to different ideas and, and different ways of thinking because um, the way that they see things and the way that we see things um, may be totally different but there may be some space for them to come together and maybe we can learn off each other so so rather than shut the door on, on that side of our whānau we, you know, we just got to keep that door open and, and do what we can yeah. So I grew up in Marae well I didn't grow up in Marae Nui but I was in Marae Nui till I was five. You grew up in Marae Nui, Silly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in Marae yeah. Nui. So we have experienced the Marae Nui of then where mm. it was viewed as a, you know, positive place. Yeah, and I, it was and just, I still, a, it was just yeah. a suburb. I still, I think that it still is. I just think that the media has done a better job of portraying it in a different way because I know when I was growing up um, there was no... Um, us and them or you know we grew up like I wouldn't say that we were poor and I wouldn't say that we were rich both my parents worked but whatever they had they gave to the community like I I can remember waking up and always having at least 10 10 kids sleeping on our (laughs) our sitting room floor you know things like that there was always kai for um for everyone whoever came into our home so although we weren't rich and we weren't poor there was no distinguishment about that's them and that's us we were all kind of one if you know what I mean like we all just got on and, and there was always things happening when I was growing up in Marainui Sports and and um, we had the YMCA and all that stuff. So we just kept busy and I guess I've stuck with that philosophy that if you keep kids busy enough, they're not going to, like Shah says, she didn't know all that stuff was going along uh, around her because we'd kept her really, really busy with whānau stuff and with um, performing arts stuff and drag her along to sports things even though she didn't play. She had to come and she had to watch and and. 
You're just keeping them busy, I guess. And so you just built a really solid whānau foundation. Yeah, so yeah, that was already as, as built as on a could. solid yeah, foundation. Yeah, like we're not. I'm not saying that we were perfect, but I mean, I've got so much time for my dad because, and my mum, of course. But um, my dad was the one that got us into tennis and and dancing and and all those kind of things. And I look back now and I and I understand why. Like he just he just put us into everything and gave us all the opportunities that we could. My brothers were into karate and rugby and and you know and although we didn't become um, we didn't follow that pathway all the way, we got a taste of it and we knew that it was there if we ever wanted to fall back on it. So yeah, and it's actually it was actually the sports that's opened up my networks and like now working within a, a um, industry where you you rely on networks. I mean that's become really important and like I mean like we can connect you and I can connect because we grew up in the Rai Nui and um, that happens all the time where you make those connections oh do you know so and so oh did you play softball oh, oh, yeah. did you did go you know? to yeah. so and so school <laughs> so yeah. all of that kind of stuff because which is a very mildly way of interacting absolutely, anyway absolutely and so if you're if, if you bring your this is what we try to do is bring our kids up so that they do meet as many people as possible and that's what Charlisa why she's so passionate about um, continuing on with this work with performing arts because you meet kids from all different schools that you probably never would have got the opportunity to meet and when you meet those ones they come with their whanau and, and that whanau comes with you know so the networks just grow and then you all of a sudden a, a kid that you know grew up in an upper heart has got all these networks in Strathmore and you're not alone anymore and you can just jump on the Facebook and whenever you're feeling <laughs> bored you're or never whatever. Alone Facebook. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of um, negative things about Facebook, but there's also some really positive things that connects people and, and, and um, it always gives them, you know, someone to talk to. And, and as long as you can kind of monitor that and give rules and boundaries around the use of Facebook, I think it's a really awesome tool for our kids to stay connected. So, mm. Shalisa, you're going to carry on writing? Um, carry on directing? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll be um, writing for the rest of my life, <laughs> but probably, yeah, never as a career though, I just mm. like doing it for fun, mm. yeah. I know it might change your mind when the money starts rolling <laughs> in, right? and it becomes a career. Yeah. <laughs> With this money there is no money, <laughs> and it's like, um, like... The, these kids that Shah's trying to reach, they don't come with lots of money, so they come to the workshops and they're all free. Like, I mean, they give a koha for kai and, and things like that, but I guess that's why Shah doesn't want it to be a career because she doesn't want to put those restrictions on those kids that can't afford to go to dance school, can't afford to go to drama school, that they can always have this. And it's it's a community project. It's You yeah, just come along, bring your whanau, bring your mates, give it a go. Yes, yeah, so I guess if if I'm proud of anything, I'm I'm proud of her giving up her time, and her energy on her weekends to be able to give this to other kids, mm. and give this experience to other kids. But if we know teenage kids, they silly. If she didn't want to do it, there ain't nothing <laughs> you can do. <laughs> no, you can't. We can't move them at all. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah. But yeah, I, I can always see her doing becoming a, um the next what's that guy's name um Jackson fella. Peter, Peter, Peter Jackson, yeah, being the next. You want to be the next takeaway? Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I can see her um, maybe one day following that pathway. Yeah, because she loves she loves to watch films and 
she always watches them and, and she starts to, you know, analyze, analyze them and, and go, well, actually, that should, you know, and so, oh, you should actually do that as a career, you know. That's something that you're pretty good at spotting, good eye for it. Whereas oh. I just watch it and go, oh, that was a cool movie. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Then don't look at all the other things, yeah. Kia ora, Mirai Rakuraku with Shalisa Harris and her mum, Sally Ride Dunn. Last night at Scots College, Wellington, there was a performance of The Waka of Love. Here's hoping it has a long life and it tours the country. This is Tiahi Khan. If you want to see photos of that performance, check out our webpage, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahi Khan. And if you'd like to get in touch with us about anything, email us, Tiahi Khan at radioNZ.co.nz. I'm Justine Murray. I'm Mariah Rakraku and this is Te Ahika. Now in that kōrero, Sally mentioned the Pikihuia short story competitions. Well, it's that time again, folks. We'll have more on that next week. The closing date is the 12th of June. That's a few months away. Blow the dust off those scripts. Empty that drawer on your desk. Go on, give it a go. This past Tuesday, Tonga buried its king, George Tupo V, following his death in Hong Kong. And while mainstream media seemed to focus on his eccentricities, the monocle, the dress, the more English than English accent, his role in the democratisation of his nation is yet to play out in its entirety. What seemed to be ignored completely are the long-existing relationships amongst Pacific nations. Aotearoa included. That, when you look at it, is about whakapapa because we're all cousins and related in some way because of those initial migratory travels across the Pacific Ocean. Mai Hawaiki Kiaotearoa. And like the European monarchy, there are relationships between the royal houses. Mamai Takere of the Kingitanga is with the Manukorihi reporter Rosemary Rangitawira explaining their relationship with the Tongan royal family. The special relationship with regards to Waikato in this particular sense, Tainui, is that that relationship goes back to the period of 1940 circa, in specific 1947. Tepuea went over to Tonga. She took with her his secretary of the time, Te Rotohiko Jones, also her husband, the late Tumokai Kachipa, and at that particular time, she was grooming Princess Piki Mene, better known as Tarikinui Tatairangi Kahu. So during that time, that relationship was established. It was established with Queen Solote. Given that very special relationship, the relationship began to develop over many, one would say, decades. And generations. And so Waikato's relationship with Tonga goes back beyond that period of time, one would say. So with regards to the passing of the King of Tonga, it saddens saddens our hearts because we recall a time when this image of Queen Salote, when she used to stay in Auckland, and Te Pua and Te was constant visitors during that period of time. So your question of asking what is that special relationship, it was founded by the likes of the trailblazers of uh, Māoridom 
Princess Tipuia, in association with Queen Salote, and with the Tongan royal family. That relationship has been cultivated and nurtured throughout time to this present day. So it seems as though, um, you know, that they are our whanaunga, um, especially like for the Pacific. Um, would you, so I, I, I ask, um, could you say that the, the relationship is like whanautanga, whakawhanaungatanga? I can expand on that. Okay. With regards to our relationship, it goes back beyond time. The great migration of the waka to Aotearoa. We circum, uh, circumnavigated the Pacific Islands. Our families have grown within those islands. Our whanaungatanga cannot be questioned because it's through the ariki lines that come through the islands, likewise ourselves, that that kinship and that whanaungatanga the blood itself is noble and it belongs to the land, likewise those islands. In saying that we have a special relationship is that the paramount arikitanga of Waikato is part of that heritage, part of that culture. It's part of that whole ambience around kin blood ties. So when we look at the whole relationship around Tonga to Waikato Taimi, in particular to the royal household of Portato, you will find that the the whole ihi, the modi, the ethos, and that physical, spiritual relationship all ties together. So there's no two ways about this relationship. There is a whanaungatanga. Likewise, during the time that Te Pua went in 1947, she went to Tonga, she went to Rarotonga, she went to Mangaia, to one of the islands. She groomed Te Arikinui, and Te Arikinui, during her lifetime, had fostered and nurtured that relationship with the King of Tonga and the Queen of Tonga. King Tupou, and Queen Mataho, and today we mourn the passing of their son. And we welcome and celebrate the new King of Tonga. I wanted to ask you, you, you spoke about grooming. Kia mōhiwa i te whānui o nga kai whakarongo. Um, te Puiya had taken uh, Dame Te Arikinui uh, to... to countries like Tonga to Raratonga, those those places. What was her purpose of, of um taking her there? Okay. The objective of Tapuya's taking Tarikinui to the Isles, to the Pacific Isles, was to groom her in preparation for the time when she would become her father's successor. Tepuya was astute. Our relationship, she identified that and clearly developed a relationship with the Yariki of the islands. During King Koroki's time is that he embraced all things of the of Rarotonga and of the Pacific Isles, but in particular 
Rarotonga. And in dream, dream Tarikinui's time, she continued to foster that relationship with Tonga. So Tepuea was able to visualize that the importance of Whanaungatanga and Whakapapa had to be retained. So when we look at this whole ideology around Whanaungatanga, is that Tepuea was strategic in her grooming of Tarikinui. Tepuea manifested through Tarikinui the proverbial sayings of her grandfather, King Tapio, the second Māori king. He said, my friends are from the four corners of this earth. They are the carpenters, the shoemakers, and the blacksmiths. Clearly acknowledging that throughout the realm of Pacific, of the Pacific and Aotearoa, there were the paramount ariki, but there was also the people who made up the backbone of that whole structure. So we look at the philosophy of his proverbial saints in that my people are from the four corners of this earth, of this world. They are made of made up of the humble people. Now, to liken my explanation with regards to how people out there, your listeners, can understand, if you take the scenario of a forest, in particular New Zealand forest, you will find that the humble trees are all lowly. They grow only so many feet from the ground. You also have the ground cover. Underneath that ground cover is the, is the seeds of the Kodi, the Rimu, all the chiefly trees. Now, in a sense, that if it were not for that humble coverage on the forest floor, those chiefly trees struggling to grow and become strong would die. It's the same scenario that you would put in place of Arikitanga and the people. Without the people, that whole structure would would uh, basically crumble, would fall. So when we look at the tangihanga of, uh, of uh, the king of Tonga, is that his people in their humility and as close as possible that they can get to the ground, is that from that ground, the whole essence, the ethos, the spirit of Papa Tuanuku is coming through the ground itself into the waidua of the people who are in mourning. So, to rationalize what is so special about our relationship to Tonga, that's the reason why we are who we are. Kia ora kōrua, Rosemary Langitawira with Mamai Takerei. Justin Murray, Radio New Zealand National Tiahika here in uh, Hastings, and I'm at the uh, Kahungunu Health Services. In particular, uh, this facility is called simply Choices, and I'm here with Erin uh, Sandilands. Kia ora, Erin. Kia ora. Uh, first of all, could you tell me where you're, you're from, born, raised, your oh. iwi hapu? Um, I'm from Central Hawke's Bay. Um, our, my marae is Te Whatiwi Apiti Marae. Our iwi is Te Whatiwi Apiti. I've been born and bred here in Hawke's Bay. Um, my mum was from Central Hawke's Bay. She she was a peony. Um, she married a Pākehā who was um, 
that's where I get the name Sandlins from, but I'm true blue Māori all the way. <laughs> Kia ora, Erin. Now, we're here to talk about, uh, well, you're, you're a Māori midwife. Yes. How long have you been a Māori midwife? Um, I did my nursing first, and I became a registered nurse, and that was back in 2004, I think. Then I went off to Massey University in Palmerston and graduated as a Māori midwife. So it was, um, if you don't mind me saying, it was, you know, studying in a later part of your life? Absolutely. I was in the sharing sheds as a sharing contractor for about 20 years, ran a sharing gang, and um, in my sister Jean, who's also a Māori midwife, she encouraged me, come on, sis, enough of that. <laughs> um, so I went off to the EIT and did my nursing degree, and my sister, who's a midwife, she encouraged me to... Um, go off and do my midwifery, which which I did with, without her support and um, financially as well. I probably wouldn't be here today. I'll be still sweeping those dags down that sharing board. <laughs> I suppose I was here initially um, at Choices because um, there is a group uh, which is like a support network really called uh, Namaya, and this is a, a group which is governed by um, their own board. And then under that, there are a collective of Māori midwives. Tell us a bit about why they're here in Hastings, Erin. Um, Ngāmai, who have been around for a few years now, um, have always been a collective group of Māori midwives, not just midwives but also consumers who also um, add to um, policies and things like that. Now, um, they were based in Christchurch, but after the earthquake, I believe their building was destroyed. So my sister Jean Tahuya, who's um, on the board of Namaya, she kindly offered a room here in Hastings, which is really good because it's central to New Zealand. And so if you needed to go to their meetings, you more or less had to go to the South Island. So I find it's really good. And they just had um, the opening of it not so long ago, and Tariana Ture came and um, blessed the place and opened the doors, and it was just wonderful. Mm. Um, earlier, Erin, we were talking about um, you know what you do and, and, and being a midwife, and and I did ask you um, what was it, what, what what really I mean fundamentally the basic question is what is the difference between a Māori midwife and a Pākehā midwife and your response was, well, actually nothing. Why, why was that? Why is there no difference? Um, even though we are Māori midwives, we still have to practice to the standards of um, the College of Midwives, and there are 10 standards that are involved. There is no difference in that way, but there is a lot of difference when it comes to um, whānau and... Um, no, I could go to a birth and there'd be 20 whānau at the birth. I'm not just looking after that woman and her baby and her pregnancy. I'm also looking after the nannies that are there, the papas that come along. And um, the difference is, is um, whānau orientated, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, 20 people crammed in one room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you might just look, can some of you people just step out of the room, please? Yeah. Does it make your job hard sometimes? Um, sometimes when there's... Because they're all staring at you, yeah. maybe. Yeah, sometimes you can get a little bit nervous. But, yeah. you know, if you um, you just join in with the whānau and you're part of the whānau, and, and that also um, builds up your reputation because I get other 
people from the same whānau and they come to me, oh, I want you to be my midwife because you birthed my auntie's baby <laughs> and my nanny said you're related to us anyway, so I want you to be my midwife. So and being Māori, it's good for business. Yes, it is. It <laughs> yeah, is. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're going to do a little bit of a walk around. Yeah. Gee, this building's huge. It's huge. And I love it how each room's got a Māori name, like there's Kereru yes. Kitchen and yep. Tui for the conference room we've just come yep. out of. Going down the stairs to the... And there's three, four clinic rooms downstairs, and I've also got Māori names, Kiwi, Moa, Emu. Oh, yeah, so we've got the smoke-free ladies in this yeah. particular room. Yes, any um, pregnant woman or whānau who smoke and want to give up, we have a smoking sensation program going and they are welcome to come in. It's free. Okay, and then we have Stella here who's another Māori uh, midwife. Can I just say a quick hello? Kia ora, Stella. Kia ora. My iwi is kahunanu, Ngāti kahunanu. Um, hapu is Ngāti pōpōro. From Bridgepa. I'm from here from um, Hooks Bay. Um, I have a husband and six children and five grandchildren. Oh my <laughs> goodness! So, why midwifery? Um, it's something that I've always wanted to do. Well, actually, it wasn't. Nursing was something that I wanted to do. It's an old year, and, um, nursing, yep. Yep, Erin and I went off and done our nursing together, and um, she was going off to do her midwifery, so she said, Come with me. So, I did. So we went off and done our midwifery together. At Messy? At Messy, yep. yep. And, um, yeah, we've been doing this for a number of years, and it's a really rewarding job. Six, six years. years. <laughs> yep, six years. So um, it's it's just really rewarding. So Erin yeah. was talking about when you're dealing with a, a, a wahine that's hapu, you're not dealing with just her but the whānau unit. That's true. agree? Yep, yep. You're dealing with her, you're dealing with the partner, you're dealing with... Her children and her, yeah, her grandmother, her parents, the cousins, and everybody else who wants to jump in on the booth. So yeah, you've, you've got um, everybody else's opinions to deal with as well. <laughs> Kia ora, Stella, for that. Okay, I'm still with Erin. Kia ora. <laughs> We're here at Twisters, a bit of a tour. These are our clinic rooms, and we have everything in here, so just like a doctor's yeah. clinic. And we also have a gym yeah, for women. Yeah, for a look in the gym. Should yeah. We go for a look? So this is the gym. Yes, and um, uh, once the women have had their babies there, they're welcome to come in and and get on the exercises cycles and try and get back to losing all that baby weight. <laughs> that post weight. Yes, all that post weight. Yeah. So I'm here at uh, Choices. Now, Erin, can we just talk about these puku moulds? Oh. Now, I've spotted these. Basically, it's a mould of a, a pregnant uh, puku or stomach, but um, I didn't quite know that they're actually from a real body. I thought they were, like, made. How are these created, Erin? Um, what we do is the woman come in, and um, we have a small charge of $80 because we have to pay for the plaster of Paris and the dressings. And the woman comes in and with an old bra on, if she has one, and we... Because she's got to get it plastered. Yes. Of course, yeah, yeah. And we um, dress her up in the dressings, and then we we layer the plaster Paris on, and when it sets, we paint them black, and then we 
we put a bit of gold paint on them as well, and then they look like bronze moulds of the pukus, and they're beautiful. They are beautiful. What are some of the... Um, we spoke about whānau. What are some of the, the, the difficulties in being a Māori midwife? Um, being on court 24-7 and um, sometimes having people who who think you are on the, you're there 24-7. Beck and call. Beck and call, yeah. Sometimes they can get a little bit, you know, I just ignore those those texts and things, especially 11 o'clock at night. Mm-mm. Are there any examples that you have, Erin, of, you know, um, you've dealt with a particular Māori um, woman who's pregnant and they've wanted uh, things done a little bit differently than what you're bound to by yes. your um, under the college? Yes. Um, I have had um, women who would like um, karakia and things at the birth and I, um, I, I believe in karakia but at the same time as as the midwife, I'm there to make sure the woman has her baby, the baby is born safely. So I say to her, yes, I'll, I'll birth your baby, but when it comes to the, all the karakia and different traditional things, I like for her to maybe bring her own someone in the whānau who could do that part of the work for her while I just concentrate on birthing us, having a baby safely born and looking after the mum. Kia ora, Justine Murray with Erin Sandilands and Hastings. Anita, a Shane Teruki. Jeez, can't get enough of him with this week's Fakatoki. Taitimu Taipari was drawn from the idea of the human experiences of our ancestors. And that being a time of uh, great upheaval and movement, the ebb and flow of humanity. Uh, sometimes it's fantastic. Ara ko ngā piki and other times ko ngā hiki. Sometimes we're in a point of great prosperity uh, and wealth and cultural well-being, etc. And there have been those other times where uh, one might say the tide of prosperity has gone out. Uh, yet in that There are things that we've discovered in the past, and likewise now we're in a different period. However, the journey is the same, hence the idea of journey of a people. Kia ora Shane Teruki. Next week being Easter, it's time for Te Hui Aranga, the annual gathering of Catholic Māori. Rāna Marekura tells us about it. There's much talk about how an earthquake, then followed by tsunami, could wipe out Wellington. Justin reports back on Ahui, looking at how Marae will cope. That's what's coming up next week. He mihi tēnā ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Ki ngā kai rā wiki wiki mihini, ngā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā rātapu. Mai te whānau a te ahi kā ki a tātou katoa. Mauri ora.